So how's it going with your journey, the journey of the soul? Each one of us are on a journey. Our journeys sometimes coincide and we parallel with somebody, sometimes for years and years. But don't ever forget the individualization of the journey of your soul. As Lynn just tapped me on the shoulder, he said, there's joy in the morning. And every morning, we find that no matter how long the night's been, in this journey, we're promised certain things. His mercies are new every morning as well. So as we think about our own individual lives for just a moment, <clears throat> again, this whole series of the year has been about reminding us that life happens. And along the pathways, along the highways, the byways of life, many things happen to us. There are some things that are repeats on a weekly basis. Some things are repeat every day. And sometimes just uh, certain things happen only once in a given year. Maybe a vacation. Maybe a certain encounter. Maybe a certain experience. Along with that, we... Uh, as much as we've just partaken in what we call the sacrament of communion, that is that we have a visible sign of something that's happening inward, Tozer, in his book entitled The Pursuit of God, in other words, God is chasing us, talked about the sacrament of living. And again, remember what a sacrament is. A sacrament is simply an exterior, something visible, speaking of, declaring, celebrating an inward grace. So when we take the bread and we take the wine or the juice, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus' own body was broken and his blood was spilt, bringing in, as he called it, a new covenant for us. And we're still experiencing it to this day. Can I hear a hearty amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as we like to do, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read just two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And then we're just going to take a little bit of a skip, a little hop, and go to what we now know as chapter 11, verse 1. It's all written at the same time, you know. But we've had this help to kind of break things down for memorization purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. Somebody say whatever. <laughs> do to the glory of God. And then verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Be imitators of me. That's Paul. As I am of Christ. Thank you for your word. Let it speak to us with freshness, with efficiency. Answer the questions that so many of us have right now in this service, whether we're streaming or whether we're here. Do what you do so well, Holy Spirit. Make it real. Make it alive. Make it vibrant. Make it personal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before you're seated, turn to at least two and say, man, you are looking good today.
Some of you haven't been told you've been looking good for a long time. You're really enjoying this moment, aren't you? And others are like, yeah, I know. Whatever. Okay. Here we are. And here is, here is a good example of the living Word of God speaking life into us. And if we're not careful, it'll go right over our head. Here... Paul is writing, and he has said, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, or whatever, do it to the glory of God. Well, that sounds philosophical, but is it practical? Can we actually fulfill that on a Monday or on a Friday night? And then he goes on and makes the statement, be imitators of of me. If you just take a half a breath there, it's already, if I've done any study at all about Paul's life, first of all, I don't know that I want to imitate his life because I don't know I want to be shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead. But I also don't know if I could fulfill the intelligence, obviously, that was in the man and the passion that the man had is to get the good news out to all the world. Because up until his time, it looked as though it was only going to stay among Jews and only be territorial in the land of Israel. And now he is saying and going to all the world, the master said, and Paul is beginning that journey that you and I are still on. But then he turns around and says, don't only be imitators of me. As I am an imitator of Christ, also be an imitator of Christ. And this is where all of us fall off the wagon probably. I don't know that I can live that kind of life. So it, it must be philosophical. It must be for Sunday morning so the preacher uh, can say that he preached a sermon. And it must be for devotionals uh, when I'm uh, starting my day off or ending my day. Did he really mean that this is possible for us to do it? And this is where Tozer comes in. And he talks about the sacrament of living. That our lifestyles are an outward sign of an inward grace. That the way we live, the way we converse, the way we get involved in whatever we do, it shows, it emanates from our being that there has been an inward grace that we've received and we are so full that it's spilling out. Wow. This is an incredible message. And that's why we have to just marinate in it a minute to realize this guy really means this. And it's in the eternal word of God. The Holy Spirit means that we are also to apply this truth to our life. And that I can live a life that brings glory to God in whatever I do. Again, it begins with the mind. You'll see that it involves all of our being, mind, soul, and body, but it begins with the mind, and again, here's a passage that, again, it can sound philosophical, it can sound just devotional, but it was meant to be everyday living when it says, let this mind be in you, it was also found in Christ Jesus. Again, remembering that Jesus is God, but he's all man at the same time in his earthly journey. And he modeled for us 
that he had a mindset while on earth living in the flesh that you and I can also, what's the word? Imitate. Wow. So again, here's where Tozer really brings great insight to us, and this is worth you coming for today. The greatest hindrance of us having peace of mind comes with the common habit of dividing the secular from the sacred in our life. Let me say that again. The greatest hindrance we have to having peace of mind is the common habit of dividing secular from spiritual. Sacred from spiritual. and uh, Excuse me, secular. So again, this division. For many of us, we would say, I have a spiritual side to me, a sacred side to me. I have this side of me that I do Bible reading, and so the time that I am involved in Bible reading, it may be five minutes in the morning before I go off to work, it may be 15 minutes in the morning, it may be at lunch, it may be in the evening, uh, it may be three times a week in a home group, it may be once a week at in church or twice a week at church and and so we divide up our time and this is part of our spiritual time and the time involved in Bible reading the time involved in prayer the time involved in when I'm singing hymns and spiritual songs and choruses unto the Lord all these things and so much more church attendance would fall into this category of the spiritual side of me and then you have the secular side of me. And this is where the eating, the drinking, the sleeping, the needs of the body, the entertainment that we like to be a part of. Maybe your thing's going to a Braves game and you get season tickets because you love it that much. You like the whole environment. That's part of your secular lifestyle. It may be that you like the hawks, or maybe you like the falcons, or maybe you like them dogs. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> or maybe you don't like them dogs, you like them jackets. And we just go on and on and on in the secular part of our life. Tozer's exactly right. We, we all can identify with this message. We understand that there are things I do that's considered spiritual and there are things I do considered secular and, 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 and this is where I am but this is where our battle comes in because we find ourselves with this common habit of dividing and, and, and okay this uh, one for you one for you two for you so I got to give you two uh, five minutes for you five minutes for you but you keep demanding of me so I'm going to give you ten minutes uh, I'll have to take four minutes from you and and we find ourselves wrestling. We find ourselves tug of warring. We find ourselves waffling one to the other. We find ourselves, even at times of something that is spiritual, having the secular still speaking to us in our mind. Have you ever found this out that, that you're at home, you're like, there's nobody else here. I'm going to open the Bible and I'm going to read this and just invite the Holy Spirit to show up right here. And about that time, the clock chimes in the other room, and it's 8 o'clock. NCIS is on. Or some kind of jingle goes on. Oh, somebody's calling me. 
or somebody sent a text. And I can't, I don't know about you, if I hear a text, if I hear this little bleep on that phone, it just, it's, it's like something burning me. I, I, you know, I know I could get to it at any time. They, that's why they text me, because they know I might be busy right now. But my little brain, my little teeny weeny brain can't handle that pressure. I got to know who just sent me that text. And I got to know what they're saying. Because inquiring minds want to know. The spiritual and the secular. I'm not doing a Waltusi, folks. I'm... It's seesawing. It's going back and forth. Some get to the point that say the secular is not worth it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of living. And they find themselves turning in a very monkish, not monkey, the animal, but being like a monk and wanting to find seclusion and joining a commune and getting away from all the others then most of us would fall into the category of the pressure of the secular. How many has learned that if you haven't eaten in a little while, this stomach of ours says, oh, 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 I'm hungry. Now, I just ate two hours ago, but oh, I'm still hungry. How many knows this body says, I'm thirsty? And just on and on, we talk about endorphins, we talk about a lot of things, but we feel this pressure. And so what happens so many times is, is the secular overtakes the spiritual. Can I have an amen in the house? Amen. If you're going to be honest, say amen. amen. This is why we were taught about many parables and, and that the cares of life would overtake, that many things in life will choke out the spiritual. It seems to be harmless when it's little, but it grows tentacles or roots, and it, it continues to grow, and it mounts up, and it, and it wants to take every bit of the nourishment out of the soil and the moisture of the soil. And before we know it, all these things that were so small and manageable are now are huge and choking out. I can't even get sunlight in here anymore because these things have grown so tall in my life, and I live in the shade of it. Is this describing anybody today? Everybody do this exercise. And when the pastor says raise your hand, do this. Because we all do it. Parable after parable after parable. Parable of the great feast. Invitation given out to come to the feast. But I've just purchased a piece of property. I've got to take care of that. I've got to get to the attorney's office. I've got to sign some papers. I'll get with you later. Another one came up and said, man, I just got some backhoes and bulldozers. I, I can't do that. Well, maybe it didn't say that, but it said five yoke of oxen. And, and I've, got to, I've got to tend after them oxen because they're not like backhoes. They, they, these oxen want to eat, and I have to feed them. And another one said, I just got married. And I've already learned if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. The cares of life are in that parable. Parable after parable, bringing in this truth. Here's the secret. Jesus was our example. Imitate me, Paul said, as I imitate Christ. Christ didn't live a divided life. Wow. 
He not only blended, he unified the secular with the spiritual. God mastered that. Jesus mastered that. He said, everything that I do, I do it because I do the will of my Father. He is beginning to set a course for our journey of the soul so that we realize I, I do have secular responsibilities. Turn to somebody and say, it's okay. Because you see, as Christians, we can get confused or we can get silly. We can even get stupid. Don't turn to somebody and say they're stupid. Because there's always somebody there that likes to play the comparison game. Well, I was at church last Sunday. Where were you? And we just find ourselves comparing one to another. Somebody else is over here. He's dropped and said, yeah, but I remember the week before and you weren't here. And I've been here both weeks. So we battle. We wrestle. Somewhere along the way, we've got to realize what is being said here. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. This is why Paul was saying the secular belongs in your life every bit as much as the spiritual, but you can do it all to the glory of God. Wow, that was worth coming for, Pastor. Because I don't know if I've really put two and two together like that. I know that I've got the things in my life. Church attendance is important to me. Bible reading is important to me. Prayer is important to me. Or maybe it needs to be more important to me. Whatever the case, I find myself wrestling. And at times, how many would admit that you feel guilty at times? Because you wish you had more time for the spiritual. Or even more so... I had a choice, but the secular was so appealing in the moment, I didn't really even think about it. I just reacted. This is, uh, I, don't you love the Word of God? It's a guide to us. It, it is truly a light unto my path. It is for everyday living. It's not just for some monks in some commune over here. It's like, if the rest of the world could just be like us. Mm. Feel like I'm in a commercial somewhere. You know what? I'm glad that there are doctors that are believers in Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'm glad there are attorneys who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, aren't you? Aren't you glad to know that some dog walkers that you can't have time to walk in the afternoon can be believers but still walk a dog and do something secular? Can I hear an amen in the house? Wow, this works. This works. Not living a divided life, living a unified life. Coming to this place where whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. If I am eating and dining with my family in a restaurant, I've got to remember other eyes are watching me. I want to live such a way that others see Christ in me, even though I'm eating a big, juicy, juicy cheeseburger right now. Come on, somebody. I shouldn't preach on that too long. It's too close to noon. If I'm out playing, where's Kathy? Kathy, stand up. Come on, Kathy, stand up. You, yes, Kathy. I knew that joke was going to come. She's not real tall. Somebody else said, stand up after she's standing up. <laughs> Do you believe that you can play pickleball to the glory of God? 
You hear her answer? Absolutely. No reservation. You can be seated. Thank you, Kathy. I've had some people tell me, Pastor Brooks makes me nervous. He calls people out in services. I sure do. We got some honeymooners over here. <laughs> you knew that was coming. Stand up. You know who you are. They went to Hawaii for their honeymoon. Was the glory of God revealed over there in that beautiful paradise? Absolutely. You can be seated. Isn't that cool? That you can have a honeymoon to the glory of God? Yes. That you can enjoy the beauty of a place you don't normally get to see and give God glory? Absolutely. Whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I remember several years ago, I've shared the story more than once, but I don't think ever from uh, a preaching format, the guy that served as an inspiration in my life uh, to go deeper into things of the Lord was my pastor's son at the time, two years older than me. I was working bus ministry at that church. I was uh, 16, 17 years old. He was 18, 19 years old. And after making visits on Saturday with my route, I got back to the church, and Terry happened to be there. And he said, why don't we just go down to Long John Silver's and get something to eat? And I said, that sounds good to me. It was lunchtime. And we're sitting there, and there's a couple others of us there. And we sit down to eat something as simple as this, but it just kind of did something for me. We're sitting there and just did what we typically did. Terry prayed over the, the meal before we started to eat. And we're just there a moment and a woman walks over across the restaurant and doesn't look at any of the rest of us, just Terry. And she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? Now the rest of us sitting there like, hello, I'm just sitting here. She said, I could tell the way you pray. You took time, first of all, but I could tell you're in a relationship with God. You just, you've inspired me this day. What about me, lady? I turned to Terry and said, I guess I'm just chopped liver. I don't know. Everything you do, whether you're eating, drinking, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. The way we do our jobs. Oh, I could, I could stand up here and really pound on this for a while. As believers, we ought to be the best employees. You took that job with responsibilities and an understanding. And just because you've been with it five years doesn't mean like, well, now they can take this job and you know what with it. God gave me this job, not that company. God is my source. Let my light so shine before men, they may see my good effort, my good work, my good practices, my good hygiene, my good whatever, so that it will bring glory to my Father. By being a good employee, it's going to open up doors that I can share my faith. Can I have a hearty amen in the house? Yes! And as employers, oh, I knew he'd get there. Again, the same practice. Whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. We may be selling a commodity, but at the end of the day, my life, my living is a sacrament. It's an outward sign of what God's done for me. We've already celebrated and sung about, and Brother Jeff's up here reminding us, 
He's the one that saved us. He's the one that redeemed us. He's the one that delivered us. He's the one that's healed us. I want people to see something in me that gives me opportunity to share that inward grace. I didn't save myself. I didn't deliver myself, and I sure didn't heal myself. I didn't take stripes on my back so I could get my healing, and I sure wasn't going to do it for anybody else, but he did. The sacrament of living. It goes on, and we get to the soulish part of it. And you can't get there without this word, holiness. The Bible is crystal clear, but I know it's one of those words again. It's like, eh, I put that over in the spiritual pile, but it cannot come over to the secular pile. That's because, again, you've lost your peace because you're trying to live not a divided life, two separate lives. Wow. But when there's that blending and that unifying, then, then my life can be that of holy. We were reminded, Peter writes to believers and he says, listen, remember who we are. We're a chosen generation, sanctified, set apart. We are a holy nation. There's that word holy. But we're talking about humans now. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about us. He said, you're a holy nation. He said, you're a peculiar people. Turn to somebody. You can do that. Tell them they're peculiar. And enjoy every minute of it. I'm looking at you, Sarah. Yeah. You're very peculiar, Sarah. I'm preaching. You shut up. A peculiar people. We're different. Turn to somebody and say, you're different. Isn't it great to be different? Really? I mean it. Isn't it great to be different? We hear the culture say, I'm different, but they have no idea what being different is all about. There's a distinction. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are no longer owned. We are owned by him. He calls us a holy nation. He calls us a chosen generation. He tells us that we're peculiar because we show forth. No gross show. There it is again. We show forth into a darkened world the light of the gospel. Everything I do, I do to the glory of God. Whether I'm eating, whether I'm drinking, whether I'm playing pickleball, whether I'm going to a Braves game, whether I'm sitting down with my child, helping him with the homework for the evening, whether I am sitting down at a PTA meeting, whether I am going to a business meeting, I do all to the glory of God. It is Israel that God used to kind of show us a journey. Here's a group of people, by the time they're being delivered from Egypt, They've been there for 400 years. So now you're into generations that's never known anything different. Kind of sound familiar? We're born into this world that's lost and dark. And from there, God would set them free. But before he set them free, you've got to have this understanding. They had lost any concept of holiness. They had been surrounded by idolatry. 
And now he sends a deliverer and removes them from that place. But all they ever knew was idolatry. So he sets up examples for them. And he sets up a tabernacle. And he has set up holy days and holy garments and holy furnishings. And all these things are called holy. A holy day to set aside. Because he knew all they ever knew was secular. They did not know anything about spiritual So he had to use tools to teach them. Along the way, finally, not only their story and the journey, but ours coming along, Jesus comes along and he says, you have heard it said, but now I tell you. He's come to this place, he said, I'm going to offer a new covenant to you. He's reminding us of the journey. And finally he comes up and he said, The time is coming, the hour is coming, and now is that those that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, we find ourselves likened unto Israel, especially those of us that didn't serve Jesus as a child, didn't pray a prayer of salvation early on, and got involved in life and say, I know how dark the world is, and it's still calling on me. And I find myself struggling. I want to do more spiritual things, but there's so much secular baggage. Somewhere you come to this place and realize, but there there has to be a way out of this, and there is. It's understanding it isn't two lives. It isn't a divided lifestyle. It is everything I do, I do to the glory of God. Everything I do, every time I sing a song, every time I play a game, every time I drive my car, everything I do is an opportunity to contribute to the glory of God. Wow. The way I drive my car. Do you believe that people can exercise the glory of God in their driving skills? You better say amen. Because we know plenty of other people that are not exercising the glory of God in their driving skills. Certain hand signals show up from other windows as they look at you. Do I need to say any more? I don't think God's getting any glory with certain digits standing up. This this incredible truth in this journey of our soul that I I I don't have to live a divided life. That I can please my Father. I can please my God in everything I do. The way I practice business, the way I parent my children, the way I engage in life. Get ready for it. The way I engage the stranger, the neighbor, the person I don't even know. Everything I do, I do it with the possibility of bringing glory to God or not bringing glory to God. Guide me, Holy Spirit. Now it makes sense about being led of the Spirit, living in the Spirit, understanding the secular is a part of who we are. If you don't get anything out of this message, understand that. Because again, many, many quit on their journey because they say, I can't do it. I, I, I have to do certain things at work. I, I, I have to take care of certain needs as if I don't have enough time for God. You know how many times I've had somebody come up to me and say, 
I wish I had your life. I wish I could be a pastor. I always snicker when I hear that. Because there's this concept that pastors just go to a building and sit there and have people bring them nice things and say nice things about them all day long, every day of the week. Never have a problem, never have a bill come in the mail that all these bills are just paid somehow. Pastors never get sick in body. Just perfect life. Pastor, I wish I could be you. Now, as much as I would like to preach about two hours on that subject, I will move on to come. All I'm bringing out in that point is, is the illusion that's not there. Because you see, we're all challenged with life. It is Jesus that comes in and gives us a better way and tells us you don't have to live divided. You include. And even that which seems to be minuscule can be important. Give me just another moment. Because you even look at Paul. Paul was known as a bivocational minister. We find him making tents at times so that he can receive enough income to pay for his bills and to go on another journey. It's obvious that one was more important than the other. The missionary work for God was more important than sowing and creating tents. However, both serve in a part of life that can bring glory to God. Oh, that's good preaching. Somebody say that's good preaching. It is obvious in life that some of us get higher status than others. The Bible bears that out. Parable of the talents. To one was given five. To another two. And don't most of us feel like, and then I'm over here, and this one received one. If I could have received five talents, now I'd do something for God. If I would at least receive two, I'd do more than I'm doing. But I only got one. Life happens. So we come back to this place. And that is even the body. Not only the mind and the soul, but even the body becomes a part of doing everything to the glory of God. Turn to somebody and say, you know, I've read enough Bible. The Bible tells me that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Turn to somebody and tell them. He comes and he makes this statement. Many of you that's memorized any scriptures at all know this verse, but let it speak to you this day. Again, Romans 12 and 1. Paul said, I beseech you. That's the King James. I am screaming at you. I've got to get your attention. I implore of you. To present your bodies a living sacrifice. Get ready for it. Holy and acceptable. The body, holy? It's not separate. It doesn't do certain things and my spirit and soul do other things. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Other people can't see your spirit. They see your body. The lifting of hands in worship is a beautiful sight. But also the way you do life can be a beautiful sight. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. 
Now, I know we don't do animal sacrifices, but we've all got that visual. And the Bible shows us how many sacrifices were killed and put upon the altar, right? But Paul's saying a living sacrifice. You know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're no good dead to this world. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I want my conversation to be holy. I want it to be God-pleasing. It may be filled with humor and makes people laugh. God gets the glory. How many knows God loves good humor? I, I mean, I believe that with everything. If you don't believe that, go to the book of Randy, chapter 1, verse 1. I believe God loves laughter. I believe heaven is filled with laughter. I believe when that new Jerusalem's coming back down, it's filled with worship and laughter. I believe that with everything in me. I, I thought about these disciples. Many years ago, I served as a, a Jesus in a passion play when I was serving at Thomaston Church. And uh, the guy was going to play Jesus. Couldn't do it, so I had to fill in. But it did something for me because as much as a director, I taught others, get in the mind of that person you're portraying. I had to get in the mind of Christ, literally. And it dawned on me, Jesus not only was there, he enjoyed the company of these other men. And in that moment, I'm convinced, Nesbitt, I could be wrong. I'm seldom wrong, though. Amen? Somebody. That he could sit around tables and laugh at somebody else's joke. Or he could tell a good joke himself. Now, I just lost some of you because you think you're just no proof. You think God just sits there with a scowl on his face all the time. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundant. I've never had people drawn to me when I'm having a big pity party. I don't know why we call it a party. Nobody shows up. They all leave if they were there to start off with. But man, if there's joy, it fills the house. If there's laughter, other people are attracted. Can you imagine coming up and witnessing to somebody and say, you, you could be a Christian if you really tried hard, but it's really hard in life. The devil's always after you. He's so smart. He hits me over the head every day. Nobody loves me. My favorite song is gloom, despair, and agony on me. But you can be like me if you want to.